Here's to your success in property, finance and money management. You're listening to The Long Property Show with your hosts, Daniel Gold and Patrick Lynch. Welcome back to another episode of The Long Property Show. I'm Dan Gold. And I'm Patrick Lynch. And today we're going to be talking about uh, what a lot of people in the industry are talking about, the possibility of more defaults come September, October, when uh, the Job Seeker program ends um, and the the mortgage freeze that the banks have extended to a lot of uh, loan borrowers ends as well. So there's been quite a lot of, um, let's call it fear-mongering in the, in the press. And Patty, I thought we could just provide our audience maybe with um, some alternative perspectives to at least consider. Yeah, definitely, Dan. I mean, we did recently do an article about kind of what we think might happen. And I think people should really take comfort that the regulator and the banking industry are in discussions about avoiding the impact of the whole system falling off a cliff. So there's definitely some good things happening there. Maybe you want to expand on that? Absolutely. So, um, you know, I think a a key part of all of this is... um, Consumer confidence is going to be a big part of resurrecting the economy, and the government and um, the, the the banks, I, I think, have been very good through the pandemic in in providing a lot of reassurance to people that that there were relief measures that that would be introduced that would help them, uh, let's say, buy some time and 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 um, you know help them cross that proverbial bridge. Um, I suppose, you know, it's only natural that people start asking questions about what happens when the, you know, initial timeframes of those relief programs end. Um, But I I guess the overarching point would be having come this far, um, and in many ways come this far very successfully, it would seem strange if, if, you know, the powers to be really just, um, you know, uh, provided no further help if deemed necessary and really allowed um, catastrophe to, to strike. Would you agree with that, Patty? Yeah, definitely. I mean, a lot of support already provided and for reasons which aren't just to help clients, they're also to help the banks themselves. And no one wants mm-hmm. to see significant increase in loan defaults, what that might mean for the property market or what that might mean then for clients who were going well, but then get the knock-on effect of what what would happen. So I think what we're seeing with the banks and what we have seen with the banks in terms of payment deferrals, allowing people to switch to interest only, all of which happened back in, I think, March, April, was definitely a help to the banking sector, the lending sector and property. And I think then what we're seeing and what we're expecting to see based on some of the comments such as the NAB CEO, Ross McEwen, uh, was that some of those supports will be extended come September, October. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that um, there's no question the amount of time and money and effort and publicity that's already gone into all all of this relief suggests that, you know, everybody's taking it very seriously and, and, and to the extent necessary will continue to where required. 
I think initially when when the pandemic first came about, there was obviously a lot of fear and uncertainty. And and quite rightly, um, a lot of the packages that were introduced um, were, were fairly um, broad in the sense that there weren't any um, real tests of significance in, in terms of people, um, you know, uh, um, comply, uh, sorry, being able to demonstrate, you know, eligibility for, for um, in particular, the, the um, payment pauses, at least on, on the lending, right? Yeah. Yep. What, what I anticipate, given that now it's, it's quite abundantly clear that there are certain sectors of the economy that have been more heavily hit than others, they're, the, they're going to be the, the sensitive sectors that, that, that will need closer review. And perhaps, you know, to avoid the catastrophe, um, as it draws closer to those initial relief measures ending, it might be those um, sectors that, that, that where, where further kind of support is provided, but it might, you know, be on, on more of a selective case-by-case basis um, to ensure that, you know, that the money is being allocated um, where, where, where it's going to have the, the most impact. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I mean, I think experience has shown us, as you say, the initial supports were a sticking plaster. They were just, let's stop the bleeding now and worry about details later on. And I think what we've seen and we've experienced with some of our own clients is those clients who went to the bank and took advantage of the option to pause their payments as a just-in-case, but who have subsequently gone okay we're not as badly affected as we thought we would be and i've ended up either maintaining their loan repayments or if they pause for a month going back onto the normal payment schedule i think the figures down were maybe around 20 percent of customers who were granted deferrals didn't end up using them yeah yeah and then a further 10 to 15 percent at least at nab have been reported to um to have already resumed their um, regular repayments, despite initially taking up the the pause, you know. So, they're interesting stats. I thought, Patty, we could we could kind of also um, discuss the topic of mortgage stress, because um, as we all know, mortgage stress is is typically what um, comes prior to any mortgage defaults, um, and therefore it's perhaps just worth. A conversation about mortgage stress in terms of how it's defined, um, and then also which parts of the housing sector are probably more um, prone to experiencing stress, because that can help our audience um, make their own judgment as to you know how how different parts of the housing market might be impacted by this. Noting that th- there's no one housing market, and and all of the the various sub-markets could very well be, be impacted differently. Yeah, I think that would be a, a good conversation. So Matt, what I'll do is maybe define what mortgage stress is, uh, which is basically borrowers who allocate more than 30% of their net income, so their after-tax income, towards mortgage repayments. Yeah, and, and, and that's, that, that tends to be the, the benchmark definition, that there are, of course, others. But if you use that one, which is the most widely accepted definition for, for mortgage stress, um, you can, uh, yeah, quite, quite easily um, start understanding how, how um, you know, that, that measure is going to impact different suburbs differently, for example. Um, you know, 
take, for example, a, a situation where somebody is um, spending more than that 30% net income uh, towards their repayments. If that same person has um, a larger wealth base, that is, you know, maybe they've got a larger amount of cash or shares or, or liquid assets available to them, then yes, a high proportion of their income is going towards um, the repayment, but they may not necessarily be in mortgage stress, really just because they've got a backup. They've got, they've got buffers in place to protect them. And, um, you know, I, I think it follows that obviously higher socioeconomic areas uh, are, are the households whereby you would expect to see a larger wealth base and, and more, um, you know, protection mechanisms available. Hence, perhaps mortgage stress um, is going to be less prevalent in those more affluent areas. Does that concept make sense, Patty? I think it does. I mean, obviously, the higher the income, the higher the propensity to save and to build up a cash buffer. Uh, I'd also add, Dan, that obviously, if you're going to a bank or lender to borrow money, whether that's to buy a house or you're refinancing existing debts, the bank will have already, within their serviceability assessment, said, okay, what is this person's expected living expenses and are we satisfied at a higher interest rate that they could maintain these payments? So the banks have already factored in a degree of what what if into the calculation. And I think that should also give people comfort that if worse came to it and they began experiencing mortgage stress, that they then could look at other alternatives such as their cash base or shares, or perhaps looking at their spending and reducing any luxury spending. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, um, there have been some interesting studies about mortgage stress, and, and I've linked uh, to them in, in an, art, an article that, that's now on the Long Property website, which goes into all of this in a lot more detail. But the, the studies do tend to find that the highest incidence of stress occurs in lower socioeconomic areas. And, and another reason for that um, is something that you just touched on, Patty, around, um, you know, like if, if a household has um, higher income in comparison to lower income, um, even although both might be spending, for example, 40% of their um, after-tax income on the mortgage, which technically puts them both in stress according to the standard definition, it might still be that the higher income earning household just does have more surplus cash in comparison to the low income household. And, you know, I, I think that's just another way of, of kind of re-emphasizing the point about different, um, you know, suburbs being impacted by, by stress in, in, in different ways. And then lastly, Patty, um, you know, in the context of the pandemic, um, you know, I think, it's also lower socioeconomic areas that are perhaps more prone to employment vulnerability as a result of, um, you know, this specific pandemic. Um, you know, for example, there are a lot of um, hospitality workers and, and um, retail jobs that have been, you know, on the front line and impacted. And yes, I'm generalizing, but it does tend to be, um, you know, a, a higher propensity of people within those specific two industries, at least, that are that 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 uh, might be living in in um, you know outer suburbs. Yeah, I so, think I mean yeah, the employment statistics that we've seen 
uh, certainly would indicate and all the news reports would certainly indicate that people in retail, in tourism, in service industries have been especially affected, hospitality, etc. I wouldn't be as strong maybe as you in thinking it's mainly the lower social economic areas because obviously people in higher industries such as transport uh, where they, yep. they might earn significantly more than the average industrial wage have also been affected so it has affected a lot of people but I do accept that yes those people who have maybe been traditionally on lower incomes and would live in lower socioeconomic areas uh, would have perhaps had a greater effect on their income and their ability to repay debt because of COVID. Yeah, yeah, no, point, point taken. So I guess then, Patty, maybe two other ways that we can kind of move this discussion and, and, and possibly um, wrap up and, and leave our audience with some, some further ideas to consider is really just kind of taking a step back now and, and considering the context of the, um, the, the, the banking system in Australia and, and how that might give us some insights as to um, what we're dealing with and, and, and what may um, happen later in the year. The first point that I'd make is that there's, there's a known inverse relationship between loan ratios and default rates. That is, um, areas that, that, that are defined by higher loan ratios, higher levels of debt, are more inclined to default. Now, um, if you look at as a, um, Australia as a, as a residential um, housing borrower um, as a whole, the level of debt in the market is actually quite small. And in the same article that I've mentioned, I've, I've referenced the latest CoreLogic chart pack, which has this information, um, uh, you know, very um, evident. And to my understanding, it's the latest such data. Um, sure, slightly outdated, but, but, but um, you know, October 2019, it's relatively recent. Um, CoreLogic estimates that the total residential value of real estate in Australia is $6.6 6 against outstanding mortgage debt of only 1.8 trillion. So um, as a loan ratio, that's less than 30%, which I, I think will probably um, sound quite low to most people, particularly, again, when you're reading newspaper articles that just kind of maybe imply that, that, that uh, we've got a, a large level of household debt in Australia and um, people are over leveraged and, and, and therefore more at, sense, uh, more at risk of defaulting. So, so Dan, that thirty percent that you've mentioned, how, how is that possible then? Is possible that because in because a lot of people just have their houses with no debt, or is it other that's right. that's that right. people it, are not aware of? That's right. It, yeah. So, so, so about a third of of all homes in Australia, according to CoreLogic, are um are, are debt free. Um, and yes, if if you're therefore looking only at the remaining portion of households that that uh, do have mortgage debt then the 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 loan ratio you know against that uh base is is obviously higher but but the 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 fact remains that that you know approximately one third of dwellings have no mortgage debt and that just to me is another signal that um 
you know, there there are an element of households that that, that won't be um, impacted to the same extent if they just don't have a higher, uh, you know, sorry, as high level of um, outgoings and commitments that you otherwise would if, if you had higher levels of, of debt. Yeah, and, and for those people then that perhaps don't still in that area, I mean, those, what are the arrears statistics at the moment? Yeah, the, the, good point. The, the arrears statistics in Australia are quite low. So the latest um, information from the Reserve Bank of Australia on arrears suggests that only about 1% of mortgages in Australia are um, over over 90 days in, in arrears, um, which is relatively... In, in, sorry, uh, just don't quote me on that, actually. It, it might just be that uh, over 30 days in arrears. Again, refer to my article, which links to the RBA source of truth on on that statistic but um, I think it's well known that that arrears in Australia is low right now based on both historical and international standards and that same report by um, the RBA indicates that the the USA uh, at the peak of the GFC had arrears um, on the same measure at at 10%. So you know just a completely uh, different banking system in in terms of the, the quality of loans that are out there and and therefore, the, the the likelihood of um, things going going wrong. Yeah, and I think it goes back to the point that we started with, Dan, which is why the banks are trying to help people uh, by avoiding the arrears rates. You keep confidence in the market, and I mean, I think you and I know from experience, and you've been a broker for quite some time, that most borrowers in Australia will go to great lengths to avoid defaults and arrears on their home loan? They, they definitely will. Um, so, you know, before just kind of giving up on the loan, um, th- there's definitely a, a very high likelihood that people will look to source additional income, um, uh, maybe cut back on, on any and all other expenses, seek other forms of assistance, maybe through family and friends, potentially sell other assets, et cetera, et cetera, before defaulting. That there is, um, you know, uh, maybe this is the right point to finish off on, Patty. Um, the, the, it's 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 a, it's a much bigger deal defaulting in your loan uh, on your loan in Australia in comparison to to the way the the, the banking and indeed the bankruptcy laws work um, overseas. So this this is kind of the whole discussion around full recourse versus non recourse loans. Um, basically. A non-recourse loan is when the bank only has access to the the home that the mortgage um, is is tied to to recover its outstanding debt. Um, it can base the bank can sell the property to recover as much as it can, but it can't access the borrower's other savings or assets. Um, so that doesn't really exist uh, in in Australia. In in Australia, most not all, but most loans are um, full recourse, meaning that if you do default on the loan, then not only can the bank sell your property, but um, they can also get a court judgment to go after your other assets and, and possibly even send you bankrupt. So just a lot more severe uh, um, you know, issues at stake there. Another reason as to why Australians will do everything they can to, to avoid default. Indeed. And so, Dan, maybe let's just summarise it. What what do you think, in your view, 
uh, is going to be the outcome come September, October, or where we sit now? Yeah, so um, I think in summary, I, I, a lot of the media reports that I'm seeing just feel over-exaggerated. Um, and, and hopefully in this discussion, we've just alluded to, to some of the reasons why. I think um, the, the banks don't want to be um, throwing good money against bad. But, but nor do the government or the banks want to um, see devastation, at least in the housing market, which may otherwise occur if um, left unattended and, and um, no further relief provided when these said packages are, are, are currently and technically set to end. I personally wouldn't be surprised if, if there were certain sub-segments of the market that are more heavily impacted, but I also wouldn't be surprised if there were certain sub-segments of the market that are extended further relief on a case-by-case basis. Sure. Um, and, and, and therefore, I would just encourage people, in summary, to um, really just consider who they're getting their advice and information from. Um, if it's exclusively the news media, maybe they should uh, you know, broaden their, their, their thinking and, and, and resources. And um, yeah, uh, just stress that there is no one housing market um, and there are many sub-markets which uh, I, I recommend people think carefully about on a more isolated basis to understand, uh, you know, how the, the markets that they're interested in ma- might be impacted uh, later in the year. Yeah, I, I think that's a fine way to end. Obviously, the news media is very much a general situation. Uh, if you want particular advice, speak to an expert. Cool. All right, Patty. Well, thanks for your time. Um, thanks, audience, for tuning in. Any questions, feel free to reach out to either of us. Hi at longproperty.com.au and we'll look forward to checking in with you guys in another couple of weeks. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Long Property Show. If you have any questions for Dan or Patty, you can email hi at longproperty.com.au and they'll respond within 24 hours. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and also leave us a review. This way we can continue bringing you the best weekly content possible. See you again next week. Bye for now.